Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. today with asking you a rhetorical question for you to think about. Do you believe in miracles? I mean like real miracles. Do you believe in miracles? Some will say, I believe in the miracles of biblical times. I think those were were real things that happened, but not today in the same way. Other people are going to say to you, well, you know, I've witnessed a miracle. This person was sick. They were not supposed to live. They did live. It was an absolutely incredible thing. That's a miracle. My child was able to make it through this particular experience, and he did or she did, and that was a miracle. Others will claim reason and say that miracles are impossible, uh, that miracles do not exist in today's world. I was recently reading an article in Charisma Magazine. All right, this is a magazine, a publication that has a lot to do with, with miracles and these kinds of things that stated on the topic of miracles and all these amazing healings that are happening in the, in the global south, in the, in the third world part of uh, the world, third world countries, uh, that they are not frequently witnessed in the West, in our world, the way that we see this explosion of Christianity and all these miracles and all these healings in other parts of the world. And this is what the author of that article said. All right, so you've got to place yourself, of course, in your Western mindset, you know, reason, logic, those kinds of things. It's not that I see less people being healed when prayed for. It seems to me that there are fewer people looking to be healed in the West. So in our part of the world, in wealthier parts of the world, in the Western world, there are less people that are actually looking to be healed. To clarify once again, I am not saying the people on the streets of our city do not want to be healed. It's just that they don't look at it as an option in their lives. This leads me to what may be the single biggest issue. What is it that separates countries like the United States Canada, England, wealthy countries around the world from third world countries in in, in the world as well. This leads to what is the biggest single issue. This is what he says, expectation. Expectation. Jesus always looked for faith in people. This is why he sometimes asked, do you want to get well? That was a regular question that Jesus asked if you've read the Gospels. Do you want to get well, or what do you want? Jesus expected people to be healed, and they expected the same thing. We're in the sixth week of our series, Unstoppable Church, in which we're going through the entire book of Acts. I think I can say safely at this point, 
We're probably going to get through about Acts chapter 9, and then we'll pick it up probably next summer, sometime next year. That's probably as far as we're going to make it. The last few weeks, what we've discussed, the last three weeks, have been the events surrounding Pentecost and this falling of the Holy Spirit upon the people in Jerusalem and this movement of God. Then you've got the sermon of of, of Peter. And then last week, what we looked at is how this community actually lives. What does it look like to see Christianity actually lived out in the first century the way that Christianity is supposed to still look today? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, if you want to turn in your Bible. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, and then we're going to look at verses 19 and 20. You can follow on the screen, you can get your phone out, however it is that you want to do it. But what we're going to see today is a great change. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this right now. It's going to make some of you in here very uncomfortable. And my prayer is that before we leave this place today, there will be a great spirit of conviction that falls over and under a lot of the people that are in this room right now. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at 16 verses, then go down to 19 and 20. This is what it says. These are the events, the exact events following Pentecost. Peter and John were going to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the established prayer time. So on the Jewish calendar, this is when you pray during the day. Meanwhile, a crippled man since birth was being carried in. Every day, people would place him at the temple gate, known as the beautiful gate, so he could ask for money from those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he began to ask them for a gift. Peter and John stared at him. Peter said, look at us. So the man gazed at them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I don't have any money, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. Then he grasped the man's right hand and raised him up. At once, his feet and his ankles became strong. Jumping up, he began to walk around. He entered the temple with them. This man that's been at the gate, not able to enter the temple, simply asking for money, all of a sudden is walking in the temple with them. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people who saw him, all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the one who used to sit at the temple's beautiful gate asking for money. They were filled with amazement and surprise at what had happened to him. While the healed men clung to Peter and John, all the people rushed toward them at Solomon's porch, completely amazed. Seeing this, Peter addressed the people. You Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us as if we made him walk by our own power or piety? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our ancestry, the God that you guys are supposed to already know about, has glorified his servant Jesus. This is the one that you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence, even though he had already decided to release him. You rejected the holy and righteous one, and you asked him, or you asked for a murder to be released instead. You killed the author of life. The very one whom God had raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. 
His name itself made the man strong. That is because of faith in Jesus' name. God has strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith that comes through Jesus gave him complete health right before your eyes. Skipping down to verse 19. And this is the command that he gives them. He's already given it to them once before. Change your hearts and your lives. Turn back to God. He's telling this to people who are going in the temple to pray. He's telling them to change their hearts and their lives. Meaning the facade is not working. The religious face is not working. If you're amazed by this, you need to change your heart and you need to change your life. Then the Lord will provide a season of relief from the distress of this age and will send Jesus whom you handpicked to be your Christ. So let's keep in mind that this is not the same Peter and John that we are familiar with in the Gospels. This is filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit Peter and John. These are two completely different individuals than what we saw prior to this. So the question again, what do we do with these miracles? A lame man walking. What is it in the 21st century context in which we've evolved and grown way beyond that kind of thinking? What is it that we do with these ideas? Do we see these as isolated New Testament events that don't happen in today's world, or do we see this as something more? Are these miracles part of the ancient world and something that we're supposed to see in the life of Jesus and the apostles shortly after that, or is this something that we see today? There are two great reasons, because some of you are sitting here right now and you've got a lot of skepticism. You've got skepticism for two reasons. Some of you have skepticism because you're outside the church. Others of you have skepticism because you grew up Baptist. I'm joking. All right? But when we talk about miracles, people are just like, wait a minute. What are we talking about? This kind of stuff really doesn't happen. This kind of stuff isn't real. We never experienced that in my church growing up. That's something for another time and place. And then people on the other side have a very different way of looking at this as well. There are reasons for this skepticism. First is this, the Baptist thing was a joke. We are products of enlightenment thinking. Even if you didn't study the scientific revolution and Francis Bacon and the development of the scientific revolution and what eventually comes in the 18th century known as enlightenment, we are products in the Western Hemisphere of logic and reason. So we need for things to make sense. Even those of you that are in this room right now that are people of faith, Most of you, if you were honest enough, you would admit you need things to make sense. Listen, with God, sometimes things don't make sense. Most of the time, they don't make sense. Me relocating to Tennessee when everything was wonderful. Got a few people from my former church here today. It made no sense whatsoever. Yet God works through these things. Logic, reason. Listen, I'm a person of science. I'm a sociologist. It's part of what I do. But there is this another sphere that exists that you have to lean into if you are a follower of Jesus. And the other reason that most of us don't believe in this kind of thing is because we've never experienced miracles ourselves. We haven't. Now, we have seen the situation sometimes in the hospital where where the person, you were told, there is no way, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, there is no way that this person is going to live. It's just not going to happen. 
And then all of a sudden, breath re-enters their body. I'm definitely not saying that's not a miracle. Because I believe it is. But a lot of times that is the extent of what we've seen as true biblical miracles. They've simply not been witnessed by a lot of us. Uh, New Testament scholar Craig Keener, who, who studies a lot of mir- miracles in Africa and Asia and these third world areas, he calls this special divine action. And I can promise you this. I can promise you this. And my, my brother over here, Dan, he knows this because he's from a third world country. He's from Africa. If you are in an environment in a third world country, if you are in another area of the world, you would practice Christianity very differently than what we practice it in the West where everything is safe and we put on our nice clothes and then we go home and we do whatever we want to through the week and we've never really activated faith. The thing that we are born and bred for, we never really activate in our lives. And I hope that there is some conviction in this room right now about this. So what is it that our passage shows us about the church post-Pentecost? What is it supposed to look like? Is this New Testament church is formed, and that's where we are. What is it supposed to look like? First notice this. When the name of Jesus is invoked, everything changes. When the name of Jesus is invoked in faith, real faith, pistis in Greek, action in what you do, everything changes. Peter said to this beggar who's there waiting for money every day, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in the name of the United Methodist Church, not in the name of the Catholic Church, not in the name of the Southern Baptist Convention, not in the name of Matt Smith, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Then he grasped the man's hand and raised him up. And at once, not after a few minutes, at once his feet and his ankles became strong. You see, what we often do, if we have several years in the faith, you've been a Christian for 20 years, you've been a Christian for 50 years, maybe you're in a situation where you've only been a Christian for several months, but you're already deeply engaged with Scripture and you're growing and there are all these wonderful things in your life that are going on, we often pride ourselves on being people of faith, on being people of having very strong faith, having real faith. And I would make the argument, and I hope you hear this, because I'm speaking to every single person in here, including myself, often what we have is not faith. We have a knowledge base. We have a knowledge base. We grew up in church, or we've been in church enough, and we've learned enough to wear this generic faith and call it the real thing. It's been spoon-fed to us since we were children. We're told by our parents what to do and what not to do. But when it really comes down to life-giving faith that transforms people, the majority of us, I would go as far as to say, the majority of us in this room right now, we have a knowledge base. We have faith on the basis of cognition, but we lack the life-transforming, grounded faith that really changes a community, that really changes a church, 
that really changes a leadership team. Because the majority of us in here, in this safe first world country, know that we always have some cushion or something safe to fall back on if we have to. How many of you are just willing to sacrifice your checking account or your savings account or everything in your life right now for the cause of Christ? How many of you right now are ready to pack your bags if God is moving your family for the cause of Christ? How many of you are willing to miss ball games or miss kids events or miss some of these things for the cause of Christ? You see, this is what faith actually looks like. If we're talking about Acts and we're talking about grounded in the first, church, in the first century church and what this looks like, this is the kind of faith that we're talking about. But in the United States, if you ask people, uh, do you believe in Jesus? Well, of course I believe in Jesus. Especially if you ask people in the Bible Belt in the South, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in those things. I think that those things are true. But there is something very important that is going on here for Peter and John. Please get this. They are living with a mindset, and most of us do not live with this mindset. Most of us are lying to ourselves when we say we are living with this mindset. They are living with the mindset, God can in every situation that they walk into, they're living with the mindset, God can. Oh, your marriage is a, is a mess? God can fix that. Oh, you're struggling with that particular sin? I don't care how long you've been an addict. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter how much guilt and shame you feel. God can fix that. Oh, you struggle with depression. You're suffering from anxiety. You suffer from this particular mental health disorder. You have this trauma from your past. All these things are really, really serious things. God can Fix that. The majority of the time, man, we really, really doubt God's promises. We don't really believe he can. Because I see very few people actually take that step out. Because we live with a mindset. Let's be honest, church. We live with a mindset, even though we worship, you know, raise our hands during worship. We read our Bibles. We pray. Most of us, even though you don't want to admit it, you live with a mindset God can't. And that is something that is very unique about our part of the world. It's something that's very unique about so many followers of Jesus. You see, Peter and John at this point, not in the early days, keep in mind they have to grow, but they are walking around believing God can do anything at any time in the lives of other people. And when you access that power, and I don't necessarily know that that comes overnight, but because it didn't for them, but whenever you access that power, and you really start to pray for that kind of power. Everything in your life changes. What are we even doing? When the name of Jesus is invoked with real faith, everything changes. Everything changes. And this is the place that I want us to be. This is the place that I want us to be. God can. But also notice that this change in this man's life, in this crippled man's life, it's evident to all the people around him. It's evident to everyone. It's not something that's hidden. It's not something that's secret. The church grows through witnessing the Spirit. That's the only real way that the church grows. That's the only real way that disciples are made. That's the only, the only way that other churches are planted, is that we grow through knowing the Spirit. Verses 9 and 10 say this, all the people saw him. Keep in mind, for the most part, it's the same people going into this temple every day. This is just their routine. You know how your routine is to get up around 7 o'clock, have your morning coffee, make sure the kids are ready, you drive out here. This is their routine every time, this time of day. 
All the people saw him. This would be like if, you know, we'll take um, Jim Greenlee, I noticed at the door this morning. If you see Jim every single Sunday morning when you come in. All the people saw him walking and praising God. He literally can't even use his legs. And he's walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same one who used to sit at the temple's beautiful gate asking for money. They were filled with amazement. You know why they're filled with amazement? Because for the first time in some of their lives, they had to recognize that they had a knowledge base and not the real thing. They had to recognize that they had a cognitive belief in God. And they were going through the motions of their faith, but they did not exercise real life changing faith. And I pray to God, I don't care if you've called yourself a Christian for 19 years. I don't care if you feel like you have it all figured out. I don't care if you come up here busted and broken. My prayer is that your life changes for the sake of the gospel. Every single person that is in here right now, you may be a leader. You may feel that you're the strongest. You're you're just a mountain of faith and you've discipled all these people. I'd like to see you just fall to the ground in tears saying, Jesus, activate real faith in my life. It's the only thing that is going to move us forward. So they were filled with amazement and surprise at what had happened to him. Now, of course, we can use his example of physical brokenness to look at his spiritual brokenness as well. Please get this today, because this is very important. The greatest evidence for God, because some of you are reading all these apologetics books and you're thinking, I've got to prove the resurrection to my doubting friend. I've got to figure all this out. The greatest evidence for God will always be a transformed life. It will always be a transformed life. If you take a person that had no faith in God, if you take a person that struggled with the idea of of, um, the belief in God, and let's take for a second, you know, people who struggle with addiction, or, or, or all these other things. Some people are just mean. Some people are just angry. Some people are just, some people just are greedy. Other people, we don't look at this sometimes as serious. How can you explain when a person like that is completely transformed? You see, I had this friend. He's still a close friend. We grew up together. We even grew up in the same church. Uh, we, used to, we used to drink together, we used to use drugs together, we, we partied all the time whenever we were a little bit younger, we did some very, very stupid things. And even as kids, he, he rejected the church. Like when we were growing up and we got involved in our youth group and, and you know, all those kinds of things that kids do before you eventually sow your wild oats and turn into a crazy person and all that stuff, he was just like, even whenever he was young, he just had no interest in it whatsoever. So one day, I'm living in Kentucky and he's living in Alabama, and I get, on, I get on Facebook, and all of a sudden he has like all these faith-based Christian quotes and things from pastors and worship songs, and I'm like, is this the same Mike Smith that I knew? Is, is this, what's going on here? And so like I send him a message, because at this point he had developed a very serious issue with addiction. I mean, he was deep. And I send him this message, and he's like, God has completely transformed my life. I'm like, have I been hacked? You know, he's telling me, he's like, God has completely transformed my life. Everything is different. And for like the first year of him growing in his faith, every single day he sent me a devotion. I was the one that was the pastor. Every single day he sent me a devotion. Still to this day. And I see such brokenness turn into something else because 
he was changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about this, okay, well, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to pray a prayer, I'm going to get baptized, I might continue to come, I might disappear, all this phony stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying God changed this person from the inside out. You know, I was telling people about this. I went out with this another guy that, that had just gotten sober. I was telling him about it, and I was so excited for Mike, and he said, he still owes me $700. Like, that's who he was. And he is completely transformed by the power of God. You want evidence for the power of God, you see this man at the gate walk. You see those kinds of things, and nobody can explain it. There is nothing you can do to bring light to, the, to these things. This beggar in our story wasn't just physically healed. He was walking and praising God. And to me, that's the most important part. He was walking and praising God. He doesn't simply say, thank you guys for healing me. Man, I've been sitting at this gate, and it, it's hard making a living when you can't walk. And you're only getting so much money a day. All right, I'll see you later now that I've got a little bit of money. I'm going to go try to find a job now. He doesn't do that yet. He goes in and he's praising God. He's witness to what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of people. How far, how far away are we? How far away are we from that? That's what I want. And that is what I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to is seeing God do this kind of work in people's lives. As we covered in week one, uh, the church starts to grow, not because they're focused on growth, but because they're focused on kingdom living. And when you're focused on kingdom living, the growth will then come. The growth will come. But notice what else we see here in this passage. Peter, and this is such a Matt Smith thing to do, he, he sees like all these amazing things going on. He sees not only this healing that he's taken part in, but he sees these other people like, we've got to get our hearts right. We've got to change things. We've got to show that God is working this way. We have got to do something. The, the feeling over that temple in that moment is like what few people will ever experience in their lives. So this is what Peter does when he sees this. He seizes the moment to teach. And that is exactly what I would do. He seizes the moment to teach. So look what the passage shows us here. While the healed man clung to Peter and John, all people rushed toward them at Solomon's porch. Like, this is not the everyday experience of prayer. What is going on? we got to see what this is. Just like in this beautiful ministry of Jesus. Everybody just has to see. The crowds are coming from everywhere to see what's going on. So while the healing man clung to Peter and John, all the people rushed toward them at Solomon's porch, completely amazed, seeing this. That's the key part right there. Seeing this, that, that his heartbeat, his pulse was one with the Spirit. Seeing this, Peter addressed the people. And Peter didn't address the people like, okay, guys, this is what's just happened. Peter addressed the people. And this is what Peter does. He doesn't take personal credit. He doesn't get lost in all the hype. And all the energy and all of this stuff that is going on. He doesn't get lost in any of it, but this is what he says. His name itself, Jesus, Yeshua, his name itself has made this man strong. And I'm here to tell you today that it may not be a physical problem. You may feel that your brain 
is just broken. Or you may feel that your desire for a substance outweighs everything in your life. Or there is no healing the brokenness in your marriage or in your family. You're greedy, you're angry, you've got all this bitterness that is inside. This is not self-help psychology. This is not a pill. This is not therapy. The name of Jesus made this man strong. That is, because of faith, active participation in believing in Jesus' name, God has strengthened this man whom you see and also that you know. Can you imagine the people walking in? There he is again. If you don't, and I know some of you guys have said this, as you walk in Walmart or, or wherever, if you don't make eye contact and you go in the other door, that, that's the approach we take. Okay? Sometimes he's going to start talking. You just got to ignore him. He's not physically threatening because he can't actually walk. Just keep going in the temple so we can pray and be religious. God has strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith that comes through Jesus gave complete health right before your eyes. Right before your eyes. You saw it. You witnessed it. It was there. there there's nothing else like that in this world, just so you know. There is nothing else. And most churches don't experience it because we don't believe I believe there is an overwhelming feeling that is in this room right now. And this overwhelming feeling is this. My faith is so weak. This belief system that I've kind of propped myself up on, this kind of ideological view of God, this, you know, God giving, giving God a little bit of me, and not really a lot, my faith is, is weak. Do I even have real faith? How do I grow that level of faith? That, that's, that's where I am right now. If you don't know the truth in my life, that's where I am right now. Ten people come up here, I'm not able to heal you, I'm sorry. That's where I'm at right now. And I don't want to ever outdo my gifting, whatever my gifts are, whatever I'm supposed to do. I say, God, I want every bit of them, but not what somebody else's. So that's the only thing that I care about. But what I'm trying to do in my life is access faith so that of all the obsessiveness and anger and fear and insecurities all go away. So that's the place that I am right now. Some of you may be asking, do I even have real faith? I believe, as I tell you guys almost every week, that this church and what we're doing here with the Believer's Church Network, what we're working on can radically change this community and grow it into a movement like our area has never seen before. I believe we can see marriages restored. I just don't believe this stuff starts and ends with a sermon. I believe it maybe starts sometimes with a sermon or a conversation, but I think it ends with life change. I think it ends with you guys making decisions in your life that you're not going to live into this garbage anymore. But instead, you're going to turn everything over because the name of Jesus invokes power when it's impressed upon people with faith. I believe we can see marriages restored. I believe we can see people become sober. I believe we can see people in the throes and depths of depression become free. Will you believe that?
That's my challenge for you today. Will you believe that? Uh, Matt, that kind of conflicts with my faith tradition. I'm not sure. Or I don't really know if I should step into that. That seems like it's kind of just a little bit scary. Can God perform miracles here? Let me ask it this way. Why not us? Like seriously, why not us? Are we cursed? Like did I not get the memo that God just doesn't want to do some things here, but God does want to do things in other countries and other parts of the world? I don't think that I receive that. Are, are, we, are we tightly bound by the status quo? I refuse to believe any of those things. But I can tell you this from personal experience, and I'll close with this. God did not relocate my family, take my oldest daughter out of a school that she loved, take me away from a church that I was absolutely in love with to do average ministry. I can, I can promise you that with everything that is in me. God wants to do a great work in this place. Will you believe? Will you believe that? Excuse me. So as we close today, some of you may need to come to the altar and you may need to pray for the ability to exercise this real faith and just say, God, give me real faith. My faith is lazy. I, I don't know what this looks like in my life, but activate this faith so I can take the steps that are necessary to be transformed myself and to assist this local body and this church to see everything transformed. Now, something else that I'm going to offer today, just for anyone that is interested. I brought some oil with me, and I'm an anointing fool. I love to anoint, mostly in homes, hospitals. But if there's anyone that is in this place right now, I want you to hear me. If there's anyone in this place right now, and you're really going through some spiritual warfare, and the enemy is about to take you out, if you're in here this morning and there's a family situation that is unresolved and you believe in the power of prayer and what God does through this practice, which has been used anciently for the sick mostly. If you're in a situation this morning in the throes of addiction or depression or some great burden that you just can't seem to get past. It's as simple as placing a little bit on my, my thumb, putting it on your forehead, praying over you. You can go back to your seat. You can pray. You can even create a line if that's something that you guys are interested in this morning. Will you exercise real faith? If not now, when? If not us, who? We are being called today to live into the calling that God has for this body. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you so much for 
for your love. We thank you for miracles, God. We thank you for the faith uh, of our fathers, Father, that have led uh, so many of us into this place where we have a free country uh, to worship. Father, we lift you up. We thank you for the work that you're going to do. I pray, Father, for the Holy Spirit to convict us exactly where we are in this place today. Father, if there is changes that need to take place um, in a friendship, in a relationship, if there are changes that need to take place in a marriage, God, if there's work that needs to be done in the life of an individual that's struggling with drugs or pornography or um, just greed or anything in their lives, Father, I pray for a transforming moment today. Father, help us to be people of real faith. And if this is a, a struggle for us right now, God, help us to at least initiate the process of today of stepping in and living in to this deeper faith. We ask these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.